Today's scripture reading is taken from 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21, from the New International Version. Now hear the word of the Lord. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than, in, than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for uh, all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I'm glad to see so many of you have braved the traffic and the road closures to be here. So this is, uh, it's good to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. Uh, I was in another house of the Lord in Puerto Rico on the island of Vieques in Puerto Rico. And I was there on a mission trip and uh, I was in a, in a church, it was a Methodist church, uh, but they worship a little bit differently than we do in the uh, island of Vieques. And they have revival services in, on this, in this church, and we happen to be there on a mission trip during revival week. Now, I don't know if everybody understands what revival week is, but that means you show up at church every night and listen to sermons and worship and so forth, so that you go to church all week long in revival week. Services start at 7 p.m. and go eh, maybe 11, midnight, every night. Now, when you're on a mission trip, you've been working all day and you go to a 7 o'clock service, you would think that you would fall asleep at 7 o'clock, right, or 8 o'clock or 9, whenever you, the service. But I, I found myself very rarely falling asleep in this service. And one of the reasons is, is because they get everybody up and they get everybody moving, right? You know, you're kind of doing this. this is a, anybody see the movie Hitch? You remember Hitch? You know, like this is, this is how I dance right here. If you ever see Matt dance, this is it. This is all I got. You, I stay right here, right? But that's how they dance in the in the church, right? And so we're all worshiping together, swaying together, right? And as we're doing this, uh, we get up and singing, and then the pastor leaves the pulpit. 
And, uh, and all this is in Spanish, by the way. I, I have a translator next to me, and it's Spanish. And he goes over, and he talks to somebody on the side of the car, and, he said, and I see him talking. Where many, meanwhile, the, the band's just kind of you know, doing their thing, you know, kind of keeping everybody swaying. And then I see him go to that, with that person and brings that person to the altar and kneels down, prays with them, and then leaves them there, and then goes to the other side of the church and grabs another person and talks to them and brings them down the altar, sits them down next to the other person and prays with both of them and talks to both of them and then leaves them there. Then he goes and he walks over to somebody else and he has a little discussion with them. He brings them to the altar. He goes and gets somebody else in the congregation, brings them to the altar and leaves them there. And of course, I'm sitting here with the translator. This, is, this takes some time and we're all sitting there. And I go to the trans. I said, what's going on? And I translate. He goes, uh, they're reconciling people. I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, the pastor's calling people out in church. <laughs> he, he's telling them they need to go reconcile. He, so he's pulling them. They were sitting on opposite sides of the church, and he was calling call them out of the pews and bring them to the altar together and saying, get right with each other. That's bold pastor right there. So uh, I'm just going to take the next few minutes. No, just kidding, just kidding. But this is the ministry of reconciliation, right? I, I saw what that pastor was doing, and I thought, boy, that's bold, and I thought that's also wonderful, right? Because what, what he was doing was he was basically going to people in love and saying to them, be reconciled to each other. But I think what Paul is saying is that you and I are also to be reconciled to God. And that you and I are the ambassadors of reconciliation. You or I are the ones that are to be going to people and saying to them, be reconciled to God. <laughs> to have that discussion, to, to have that conversation, to be bold enough <laughs> to leave our comfort zone, leave the place we're supposed to be, and go to them. Because that's what God did in Jesus Christ. Jesus, God went to us. God didn't wait for us to come. God sent the Son, God's Son, into the world, coming to us as this ministry of reconciliation. That's what Paul says. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18, 19, he says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, hear that? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Do you see yourself as being committed with the message of reconciliation? This message? Now, reconciliation means that there's a problem, <laughs> That there's a fracture, there's a, there's a brokenness in the relationship that requires healing, that requires reconciliation. And so that's assumed in there. And so the message is, is that God wants to reconcile with us even when we don't want to reconcile with God. That's the good news. So what keeps us from reconciling with God or with other people? What, what, what gets in the way of that? What, honestly, I'm going to let you answer that question. What gets in the way of reconciliation? Pride. What else? Fear. Right, absolutely. We're going to hit both those this morning. Unforgiveness. Right. Un uh, my unwillingness to forgive. What, what was that? Pain. pain. Yeah, hurt, pain. 
I'm so hard, I'm so hurt and I'm in such pain, I can't even think about it. I can't even imagine it. What, what's that? Distance. I'm not in proximity. I'm too far away and I can ignore it, right? Avoid it. Hard heart, yeah. Hardness of heart. The one word I was thinking about that I think many of you described, we can encapsulate, is stubbornness. Right? If you read through the Old Testament, the Israelites are commonly referred to as a stiff-necked people. Which means, you know, if you, have, if you ever rode a horse, you know what a stiff-necked horse is? It won't turn left or right or go or whatever. It's just stiff-necked. It will not go. It's stubborn, right? And so I think a lot of times it's our own stubbornness that gets in the way of the reconciliation. Now, now let's go take this to a, to, a, to a community level. Let's take this to a cultural level because I think that our culture, the culture that we live in, is also now become stubborn to this message. Now, I read an article in Billy Graham uh, magazine uh, back in 2016, which was basically saying, church, all we need to do is go back to the book of Acts and be like Paul was in Athens. Now, when Paul went to Athens, he was a missionary. He was an apostle. He goes into Athens. He sees all their religions and all their gods. And he says to the Greeks, he says, I, can, I see that you're a religious people. And they said, well, Paul, why don't you come again tomorrow and we'll discuss these things. There was an openness to a dialogue about the Christian faith. But that's really it. And so what the, Billy, what the, the association was basically saying is, church, we just have to go back to the book of Acts and begin to be, be like Paul in this multi-religious, pluralistic culture. And I thought to myself, that's a part of it. But I think there's a stubbornness that we have to admit to, that we have to look at. And, and I think about that. I, think our, I don't think we're actually in a Pentecostal era because there's the pre-Christian era, which is before Christ, Christianity was the dominant Western thought. So there was a pre-Christian era, and then there was Christian era, which was where Christian was dominated from Constantine in Western Europe and, Western, and here into the Western America. But we actually are living in an era that is post-Christian which means people have a sense of Christianity and they have rejected it. It's not a new idea, it's an old idea. When Paul was preaching, it was a new idea. That's what's different today. It's no longer a new idea. And add to that, not only that, but add to this politics, racism, injustices, that then begin to taint the Christian message that begin to take over the Christian message, and this ministry of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation gets lost. Gets lost. This idea that God loves us and God wants to be in relationship with us, that God wants to reconcile with us, and God is willing to go through great lengths to do that, gets lost in our Christian faith, Christianity, in the message of Christianity in today's culture. I'm not saying that our message, but in general. And so I would say to you that there, we've had to acknowledge, before we even talk about the message of reconciliation with people, we have to acknowledge there are some barriers in the way. There's some stubbornness in the way that is getting in the way of this message. The first one I would say are misperceptions in our culture. 
that there are misperceptions that are preventing people from even encountering Christ or hearing our message, or these are become these barriers to Jesus Christ. You know, we, I hear people say things, well, organized religion is bad. I, I, I've never seen organized religion, so I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I've seen a lot of disorganized religion. I would, you know, if you want to come in and help us be more disorganized, come on, we'll take it. We got plenty of disorganized religion. They just want our money. And then what's happening with the media and politics and evangelicals seeking power through politics has, has, has tainted it as well. And then this creates a stubborn, hostile environment for this message. And the message, as I said, gets lost. I was talking to a young man. Uh, we were moving out of our, we had everything in like a freight container. We were moving it into storage. And so I hired a few guys to come out and help us move all the stuff from a, a trailer into a storage facility when we first moved here. And this young guy, we, you know, we meet them there in the parking lot. And this young guy comes up to me and he says, oh, so you, are you here for one of them tech jobs? You're going to work for Amazon? You're going to and I said, no, I'm going to work for the church. He looked at me and said, what? <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, you're one of those. I said, I kind of looked at him and I said, he's like, so you're going you're gonna to be like that pastor in Texas. What's that guy's name in Texas with the big church? You're here to create one of them big mega churches and take everybody's money? <laughs> you know, you mean Joel Osteen? <laughs> I'm not trying to call out Joel, sorry. Shouldn't named him in a sermon. But that was his impression. I, I said, well, I'm not here to create a megachurch. I'm not here to take people's money. <laughs> but I, I, I would love to see our church grow and thrive. That would be great. Love that. And he said, and he said oh, oh, okay. So he, I kind of knocked that mis misperception out of the way. So he went on to his next misperception. He says, well, I hear you guys don't have to pay taxes. Is that true? I'm like, where is this guy getting this stuff? Like, no, I do pay taxes, and like everybody else, I pay tax. In fact, I pay like a self-employed person quarterly taxes four times a year, which includes payment of Social Security, you know, and so forth. And so I, you know, I explained all this to him, and he, he says, he said, but you don't pay taxes on your house, right? Oh, you mean your housing allowance? Yeah, well, that's part of that, but I still pay Social Security. I begin to explain all this to him, and he's just kind of like, really, really? And I say, I do pay property taxes like everybody else. And he, so he, I, I can see that his mind just kind of, oh, well, that, oh, well, you know, and just ticking it off, right? But I thought to myself, where is he coming up with this stuff? You can answer it, right? Where is he coming up from this with this stuff that's not true, that are misperceptions about pastors? Fake news, right? Yeah. <laughs> fake news. It is. It's fake news, right? Media, social media, friends, you know, the rumor mill, whatever it is. And I think about that. There are all these misperceptions that people have about the Christian faith, about pastors, about churches. And so there's all this stuff that kind of creates a barrier to faith. And so, there, and, and nobody really wants to push on that, right? There's another barrier, though, that's not only misperception, but I would say something that the church does that I would call misapplication of the message, that the other barrier we set up is that we actually misapply the message of the gospel, the message of reconciliation, and we communicate a message that may not be the message of reconciliation. Um, for example, one, uh, at one point in time, I was, you know, thinking, uh, talking to a pastor, uh, not, sorry, rewind, 
So I was actually talking to a couple that I had been preaching on the message of holiness, and that we're called to be holy. And we had this wonderful couple from Alabama in our church, and they were new to our church, and they came up to me after the, the service, and, and they said to me in that southern drawl, only you can do in Alabama, and they said, said Pastor, we don't think you should clean the fish before you catch them. And I said, well, you know, you know you, when you go fishing, you, you don't like catch the fish when it's already clean. You, you catch the fish as is, and then you clean it up. <laughs> I thought, oh yeah, right. A lot of times, see, one of the barriers we put up is you got to clean yourself up before you come to faith. And we put out this misapplication of reconciliation that says, all right, well, when you get right, <laughs> come on in. Or we say thing, you know, get right or get left, right? Turn or burn, right? These are the messages that sometimes people have used to try and scare people. But a scare and fear is not a reconciling message, is it? And what did God do? God didn't say, you guys got to get right, and then I'll send Jesus. When did God send Christ into the world? When we had it all together? When, when we, were, we had it all right? When we were all fixed? When we were all cleaned up? <laughs> no. Jesus was coming to the world when we weren't clean. We were sinful. We were broken. In fact, if you look at the birth of Jesus Christ, where did they lay him? In a manger. In a feed trough. In a barn a stable full of manure. That's our God. <laughs> That's our God. That's the ministry of reconciliation. And so you've got these two barriers, the barriers that we set up and the barriers that the culture sets up. And in between those two barriers is what I would call the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. And what's going on there? That's like no man's land or no woman's land. Nobody's going to cross either boundary. So we're here in the church. We're not willing to cross our boundary. The culture's not willing to cross its boundary. And there you've got a demilitarized zone where there are fences with barbed wire on it. There's military troops protecting that border. And nobody wants to go in there. Nobody wants to cross it. Why? Stubborn. The church is stubborn. The culture is stubborn. Nobody wants to go into that place. And I think there's also, somebody said fear, right? I also noticed this too. When I talk to people outside the church, when I talk to people on the other side of that DMZ, you know, one of the, and I ask them, I say, what, 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 what are you, what's going on? What, why have you rejected the church? Why have you rejected the Christian faith? And the answer I get more than any other answer is this, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that if I actually went to church, I would be rejected. I'm afraid that if I actually showed up at a church, that I would not be accepted, right? Now, now hold that. Now take, for example, now how many of us don't share this message of reconciliation because of fear? <laughs> because what are we afraid of? You know, if I share this message, I'm afraid I'll be rejected. I'm afraid that I won't be accepted, and that's why we're on two different sides. That's why we're hiding behind two different barriers in this ministry of reconciliation that we're called to. <laughs> because we're, everybody's afraid. 
Everybody's afraid of being rejected, about not being accepted. And that's where Paul helps us here. Paul says this beautiful thing in verses 13 and 14. He says this, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're bold enough to go across those barriers, to go into people's lives and say to them, be reconciled to God, that we may look like we're out of our mind, but guess what? It says we're doing it for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. And this is it. For Christ's love compels us. Compels us. And that is what will break down every single barrier, every single time. Love. The love of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what God did. God did not let the barriers get in the way of this ministry of reconciliation. God broke through the barriers with the love of Jesus Christ. How many people have been to Deception Pass? Right? A lot of people. A lot of Northwesterners here. Good. Just reminds me I'm not on the East Coast anymore. Good. So what's happening at Deception Pass? Actually, this, the literal translation of this word compel is actually the word constrain. And if you look at what happens when the tide goes in and out of Deception Pass, it is constrained in this narrow passageway. And what happens to the force and the power of the water going through the pass? When it is constrained, when it is narrowed. Have you ever tried to swim against that? Paddle against that? It is a powerful force when it is constrained. I would say to you, church, that the one thing we ought to be narrow-minded about is love. Because when we narrow our focus to loving others, when we bring this into focus and we narrow it and we constrain it, it is a powerful force for Jesus Christ, for God. Because that's the love of God that God has for us. That's a constraining, compelling love that is so narrow that it is forceful powerful. It changes lives. You know, Gandhi once said to his followers, and I I read this recently, he said to his followers when they were misbehaving, they were acting up, they were being stubborn. Gandhi said to his followers, I wish you were more like the Christians. They know how to love people. Think about that. Think about how Gandhi could recognize the love of Jesus Christ in the, in the Christians and the missionaries that had gone to India. What happened to those people that were identified by this love that compels, that breaks down barriers, that crosses barriers? Love can be expressed in so many ways, can it not? Somebody wrote a book, Five Languages of Love. I would suggest to you there's been a debate in the church about how to express this love, how to express this message. And, I, and, I, and I've recognized two basic camps, or probably more than this, but there are two basic camps. There's the camp that says, well, we're just going to act and give loving acts to people. We're just going to care for people, meet their needs. We're going to do justice in the world. We're going to advocate for people. We're going to uh, clothe people, feed people, all these things, wonderful things. And they say, we're going to do these things, but we're not going to share the message of reconciliation. We're just going to let our example speak for itself. And that's, that's good, because we, we buy into this idea, and it's a true love, uh, actions speak louder than words, right? So we think, I'm just going to act and be loving. One of my questions to that camp is this, 
And the question I often ask them, I said, well, if you do that and you don't tell people about God and you don't tell people about this ministry of reconciliation that God wants to be in relationship with them, if you don't speak that message, if you don't give the words to your actions, if you don't pair those up, who gets credit for what you do? And they often say, well, I guess I do. (laughs) Not God, right, exactly. Then there's this other camp, and they say, well, we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to share our faith, we're going to bring people to Christ, and we're going to be evangelistic, which is wonderful, and I've been a part of that camp as well. And, and, but, they, but when they turn around, <laughs> they've got a great message, but then they don't ever act in love. They, they don't treat people always in love. They don't always, they, 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 they're back in that camp of, well, you've got to get right or get left, Right? And so the words are there, but the actions are not always backing it up. And, I'm, and then their message is rejected. And I say, well, the reason your message is rejected is because people don't know that you care. Our spiritual DNA as a church, as a faith, as a, as a Methodist movement is that we do both. Our words and our actions are to be coming together, that we're to speak the words of reconciliation and also act upon the compelling love of Jesus Christ. And we are to put these two things together in such a way that it will be a powerful current, a compelling love that can't be questioned by words or actions. Both our words and our actions need to go together. What kind of witness are you? Positive, negative, truthful, untruthful? Are your words truthful? Are your actions loving? You ever think about what kind of witness you are? Because you can be a good witness and you can be a bad witness. You can take the stand and testify and lie (laughs) or give a false message. Or you can take the stand and tell the truth and speak it in love and act in love and treat in love and offer reconciliation to others. But love is the most powerful force. The love of Jesus Christ is the most powerful force in the universe, in my mind. I was talking with um, Salim Gahar, who is the executive director of Manor House in the city of Baltimore. We were touring his facility, and as we were touring his facility, he was actually, I found out he was an Air Force in the Pakistani, Pakistani Air Force, and he's a Christian, and uh, he's the executive director of this homeless ministry in the streets of Baltimore, and they feed people three meals a day. They see about 200 people at each meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner. They have clothing uh, there, available clothing, first aid supplies, basic needs, toiletries. So they take care of a lot of basic needs for the homeless population. And I said, well, what's the biggest, what do you think is creating homelessness in the city of Baltimore? And he said, heroin. Heroin addiction in the city of Baltimore, they believe that Baltimore may be the capital uh, of that in our, in our country. 10% of the population of Baltimore is addicted to heroin. That's about 67,000 people. And many of them are on the streets going from one high to the next high to the next hit to the next hit, and they see a lot of them coming and getting fed there, clothed there, making a way, living in the streets. And so he was just kind of like, you know, we were there to help and and provide some resources for Manor House. And 
And I said, well, what do you do about, so you're feeding them, you're clothing them, you're taking care of basic needs. What about rehab? What, what do you do for that? He says, well, that's what this other nonprofit does, and they're across the street from us, and so we refer people over to this rehabilitation center across the street, and they, so we work together in tandem. And I said, okay, good. I said, do you ever see anybody get free from this? <laughs> he says, no, not really. He says, I, I, I've never seen any, here's the way he put it. He said, I've never seen anybody get free from their addiction to heroin without the Christ. That's what he said, without the Christ. And what he was saying was, I've never seen anybody do it without the love of Jesus Christ coming into their souls and into their hearts and into their minds and transforming them from the inside out. He says we can feed people, we can clothe people, we can minister to people, we can send them to rehab, but until they recognize the ministry of God's compelling love in Jesus Christ for them as a person and own it and get it into them, <laughs> things don't ever change. And I think about that. One of the greatest ministries we have is this message. This message of reconciliation to say to a, someone, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care what mistakes you've made. I don't care how many sins you've committed. God wants to be in your life because God loves you deeply, passionately with all the compulsion, the compelling love of Jesus Christ. When that gets into your psyche, when in, in your soul, then you change. And it's not that you change right away. I think it, be, it creates a battle. It creates a conflict between whether I'm going to follow the compelling love of Jesus Christ that calls me back to God or I'm going to follow this addiction or this sin or this whatever it is that's holding on to me. When that current comes in, like the flood in Ellicott City, it'll uproot cars, it'll uproot trees and take it out because of the force of that constrained water. When the love of Christ is constrained into the soul of a human being, it will change them. And that is our message. It will break down barriers. It will uproot addictions. It will change people's lives in the name of Christ. Let's pray together.